Good evening, everybody. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Peter, the second chapter tonight. You know, Peter ended this previous chapter with affirming the validity of the Old Testament prophecies about who the Messiah was. And Peter's confidence was based on the fact of his own personal experiences. Remember, he was with the Lord. He was with Jesus. So he knows about it. And he now is telling his readers about false teachers. You know, Peter was a fisherman by trade. And Jesus had commissioned him to be a shepherd of the flock when he said, feed my sheep and tend my flock. You know, as a shepherd, Peter knew his responsibility. What his responsibility was, was to feed and protect the flock. But shepherds, when they feed, is one thing, but they're also there to warn them and to protect them. And now, here's the thing if a shepherd feeds his flock, Without warning the flock of dangers, all he's doing is fattening them up for the kill. That's all he's doing. Because there are wolves out there ready to attack all the time. So as a shepherd, the role is to feed and protect. And Peter is giving this warning now because Peter has the heart of a shepherd. And he's given this heartfelt warning to his readers and his listeners right now. So if you have your Bibles, we're in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, and it says this. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. You know, Peter's confidence in what he's talking about is from his own personal experience being with Jesus. And he's warning the flock right now because this was a common problem then. And Jesus told them this. He explained that there would be false prophets. In Matthew 24, 11, he says this, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And that's the title of tonight's teaching, Beware of Deception. Because there's deception out there all the time. And Jesus is describing to his disciples what they should expect after he leaves to the very end of the age. And Peter had heard these words, and what he saw was these words coming true. And this picture that is being painted is not very pretty because we know the nation of Israel was constantly being misled and being led astray by false prophets all the time. And Peter acknowledges that false prophets have always plagued Israel even when there were genuine prophets around. Men would attempt to make a name for themselves by misleading God's people by claiming that God had given them a message for Israel when he had not. Often, in fact, these false prophecies would directly contradict the message of God's actual prophets. These false prophets. Their religion 
was comfortable, it was easy, and it was very popular. But Peter reveals that the similar, there's a similar problem going to happen, and it's going to happen for us, but it's happening with teachers now. It's teachers within the church. The apostles and the prophets laid the foundation for the church because they were with Jesus Christ, and they passed it along. In Ephesians 3, 2.20, it says this, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. And that's why Peter's writing about these false teachers. Because these teachers will rise up and they, through the ranks and they will mislead Christ followers. And the reason is, is because there are still teachers within the church, right? There are teachers within the church. And it wasn't likely that these people were going to listen to the prophets, but they were listening to the teachers who were teaching the word of God. And Peter's saying this, be alert. Be on guard because there's deception out there. These false teachers were loose with the truth. They were loose with their morals at this time. And these doctrines, they were destructive to Christianity. They were attempting to internally change to something that was false and misleading. They were leading people away from God's word. And Peter knew the truth because he had been with God. Remember, he was with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. He spent time with him, walking with him. And Peter knew that these false teachers were distorting the truth. They were twisting Christ's teachings and the words of the apostles. And Peter knew one thing. These two could not coexist together. So he warns them that this will not be an obvious attack. It's not going to be very obvious. It's deceiving. And these false teachers will try to deceive us secretly. Because here's the thing. Satan's a liar, right? He's a liar and all his ministers are liars as well. They use the Bible, they use God's word not to enlighten people, but to deceive them. Remember, just like Eve, the first thing, what did they do? They questioned the word of God. Satan questioned, he said, did God really say that? That's the question. They're questioning the word of God. And then they denied the word of God when he said, you shall surely not die. And then finally, the substitute. They substitute for the word of God with their own lies. You shall be gods. That's what Satan said. He's trying to deceive them. He deceived Eve like he tries to deceive us. And these false teachers do that. And Peter says, first, these teachers are guilty of introducing destructive heresies. And what will they teach Biblical heresy, the word heresy comes from a Greek word meaning a self-chosen opinion or sect holding one's own opinion. Heresies come to be understood as a self-chosen doctrine that do not originate from God. 
Any teaching which contradicts or twists the truth because their goal is ultimately to convince Christians to join them and get them away from God. They were guilty of denying the Lord. In denying Jesus, distracting people away from the truth as who Jesus is, and Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. These teachers were belittling the significance of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Some claimed that Jesus couldn't be God. And others were claiming that he couldn't be a real man because what they were doing was denying the deity of who Jesus was. Just as the false prophets had contradicted the true prophets, telling people only what they wanted to hear. In 2 Timothy 4.3, it says it like this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what what their itching ears want to hear. Individuals who seek out a message or a doctrine that is opposite, that condones their lifestyle and what they're doing, opposing the teachings of Jesus Christ. You know, only 3% of evangelical churches, fundamental churches in America have a midweek Bible study. Did you know that? Like we're doing now? And it's sad, but it shouldn't surprise us. As Paul told Timothy this, at the end of times, people would not have a desire for sound doctrine. And I think we can all agree we're in those end times, aren't we? And that's what's happening. We must be careful and to avoid the false teachers of today when it comes to books, podcasts, TV. Messages must be evaluated and ran through the Word of God. Everything that we hear and that we see. Beware of any special meanings or interpretations that belittle Jesus or the work that he did on the cross. Those who want to avoid hardship and are not committed to the truth will want to believe these people that tell non-truths. They're liars. And here's the thing. They're going to be convincing. They will be convincing. And last, but Peter says this, that this will bring swift destruction on themselves because condemnation will come. In verse 2, it says this, Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of the truth into disrepute. Peter was deeply concerned about these false teachers and what they were teaching because Peter knows this, and we know it as well today, people are gullible, right? They're gullible, and he knew that people would flock to this easy way this comfortable way of living. And they were very successful now. They were successful. They had great numbers, and they were reporting huge crowds. But here's the thing. Numbers and statistics are not proof of authenticity. 
It does not mean that there's authenticity there. When we read Matthew 7, 13, it's about the narrow and the wide gate. It says this, enter through the narrow gate for the wide gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. The broad gate, the wide gate leads to destruction and it's crowded. It is crowded. And many who claim to be true servants of our Christ will be rejected on that last day. In Matthew 7, 21, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but not only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, and this is something that we don't want to hear. I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. True and false disciples. The fact that many will follow their depraved conduct is proof that people would rather follow the false or the worldly way instead of the truth, the word of God, and be led by the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5.16, it says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are not in conflict. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. When we walk by the Spirit, we grow in our godliness. We obey God's commands, and we experience an intimacy with God like we have never had before in our walk. You know, walking with the Spirit just means that we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we depend on a God-centered life, not a self-centered life. For those of us who are in the church now, Peter is warning against these two false traits of teachers. First, anything that would call into question of who Jesus Christ is about him being our Lord and our Savior. And anything that comes in contradiction with God's word. Second, he's saying this, that these teachers participate in a depraved conduct. They were practicing sexual immorality. And what they were saying is it was permissible to do these things. You could do that. And these false teachers were rising up from within the church. And this is why we have this warning from Peter today, that we should expect that men and women will claim to be Christians themselves, but they will teach things that contradict the message of Jesus Christ and the apostles. And then in verse 3, it says this, In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Now, Peter's describing the false teachers of his day. 
They were more interested in making money. What they were doing is they were fabricating stories. They were telling stories. They were exploiting people for their own greed. You know, Jesus was a poor man, and the apostles were poor, but they gave themselves everything that they had to minister to people. It didn't cost them anything because Jesus had compassion on those people. But the same couldn't be said for these false teachers. That's not what their goal was, to show compassion on the lost. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. In 1 Timothy 6.10, it says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, history shows us here that there are no shortage of gimmicks in the name of spirituality, right? We have all seen these. You know, some examples are if you sow a donation or a seed that will send you a little bottle of water from the Jordan River for $25. And if you've ever been to Israel, you can get that same bottle of water for a dollar. But what they're doing is they're exploiting them. And this is the same kind of thing that grieved Jesus, that caused him to overturn the tables in the temple. That's the same thing. He said, my father's house is a house of prayer. And he wanted it to be a house of prayer, not a den for the thieves. Because of their love of money, they will try to deceive people with their clever words and these fabricated stories. And Peter's purpose here is to show the importance of knowing God's word. When we know God's word and we rely on it completely, as a Christ father, we believe and we know the word of God that we will rarely be seduced by fabricated stories. Peter makes it clear that the dependability and the durability of God's word versus the greed and the fabricated stories and the experiences of the world do not match up to God's word. Money is not destructive, but the love of it when it drives our lives is. It's not wise to have a greedy obsession with money putting the love of money before our love for God. Hebrews 13.5 says this, keep your life free of the love of money and be content with what you have. In church, what we have is Jesus Christ. And we should be content with that because that is all we need. He is all we need always. Because he has told us that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, and we claim that promise in our lives right now, that he is all we need. And it's interesting that over the last 2,000 years, how much human nature has not really changed, has it? It's not really changed, whether it's the love of money or stories or power or prestige our 20th century false teachers fit right into the same mold that Peter was talking about then. Unfortunately, through TV and radio 
and all the technology that we have, especially through special social media, these false teachers and preachers get so many people. And here's the thing, here's the point. Teachers of the word of God are called to not to fleece the flock, but to feed and protect the flock. We're called to feed them, not fleece them. And let's not forget those last words, because we can take that to heart, that these false teachers won't last because they are doomed. I love this part in Jude, Jude 12, 13, it says this. These people, he's describing them, these people are blemishes at your love feast, eating you without the slightest qualms. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest, darkest has been reserved forever. That's a pretty bleak description, isn't it? But it's a picture of this worthlessness and this destruction that they had. And Peter sees no hope for these false teachers. Their doom was sealed. And his attitude was completely different than the attitude that we have today, isn't it? Not necessarily we, but the people of today. Because today there's much more tolerance. There's tolerance for these religious people who say, well, we may not agree with them, but there are many roads to heaven, right? You ever heard that? There are many roads to heaven. And Peter makes it very clear that these people have forsaken the way. They are going the wrong way. Peter says in 2 Peter 2.15, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, the son of Bezel, and who loved the wages of wickedness. What he's saying is you're going the wrong way. Stop. In John 14.6, it says this. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are many roads, but those many roads lead to Jesus. And Jesus leads us to the Father. Because we go down many roads, and they can be wrong roads, but they all lead to Jesus because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Peter is just affirmed this. He's saying their judgment was sure, even though it had not come, the trial was over, the sentence has already been set, but they had not been executed yet. But it would happen because it says that it will not linger and its slumber has not been asleep. That these false teachers, that the church will ultimately be judged by God. Our best defense against these false teachers is very simply this. Become thoroughly grounded in God's word. Know what God's word says so when the false teachers say something, you know what the truth is in your life. And be completely engaged in service in God's church. Here Peter begins a series of ifs in this next verse. These statements talk about if God did this, 
And God does bring judgment to those who rebel against him. And he starts with the angels in verse 4. It says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what he's going to, what's going to happen to ungodly, the ungodly. After revealing that God will bring judgment upon these false teachers in the church, Peter now is listing a historical events that have happened that show that God will judge people who rebel against him. He's saying he didn't even spare the angels here. And I believe he's talking about the angels that rebelled with Lucifer. It could be something else, but that's okay. But whatever it is, God did not let that rebellion stand at all. And the fact that God did not even spare the angels that sinned, he punished them. It's very interesting. And Peter says these angels remain there, being held in chains or pits of darkness until God is ready for the full judgment of their sins. But Peter also points to the great flood of Noah. He says, when the flood on the ungodly people, not only were the angels cast down, but the world was washed clean. Seeing a world polluted beyond redemption, God flooded it out of its misery. In this fierce act of judgment, God destroyed every person in the entire ancient world aside Noah and his family. But why would God do such a thing? Because it says the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. In addition to possessing great mercy and love, our God is a righteous judge. And God does not look at lightly on falsity when people are not telling the truth. The wheels of God's judgment may turn slowly, but they grind thoroughly. Peter will soon make the same connection for his readers because God also saves. Noah is described as a preacher of righteousness. Instead of being done with all of humanity completely, God spared Noah and began to start over again with him. Noah, in his experience, his faith, he experienced a twofold deliverance. God delivered him from the pollution of the world. And for over 120 years, he faithfully proclaimed the word of God to people who would not believe. He was faithful in that. Him and his family were surrounded by moral and spiritual darkness, much like we are in this world today. But they kept on shining a bright light into the darkness. And God did not protect Noah and his family by isolating them from the world. That's not what God does. We're not isolated from the world, but enabling them to remain pure in the midst of the corruption that was all around them. 
Jesus asked his father this in this prayer in John 17, 15. My prayer is that you not take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Through Jesus Christ, we too have an escape from the corruption of this world by our faith in him. God delivered Noah and his family from the judgment of the world. The flood waters that brought this condemnation to the world lifted Noah and his family above the judgment. They were safe in this ark, and this ark was like a salvation for them. That's the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. The world was buried in a baptismal flood, and Noah was lifted up as a great picture of resurrection and salvation. And Peter is assuring his readers that when this great day of judgment comes, that they will be kept safe because Jesus Christ is our ark. And he will keep us safe at that time. God has promised that the earth will never be judged by water again. But there is a coming judgment of fire. In 2 Peter 3.10, it says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. But for those who have trusted Jesus Christ will never face that judgment. John 5.24 says this, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Jesus bore our judgment on the cross for us already. And Peter continues this list of if statements, citing the example of God's judgment to those who rebel against him. He's making this case that it's also this judgment about the false teachers, but it's also about different things. And again, Peter uses an example of God's judgment on those who rebelled. It will be sudden and unexpected, offering no chance of escape. In Proverbs 29.1, it says this, Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. God judges rebellion and will not spare those who reject Jesus Christ in their lives. God's judgment is coming, but he offers us salvation through Jesus Christ when we receive and believe him into our lives. Some people would have you believe that God would save all people because he's so loving. But it's foolish to think that God would cancel this last judgment. These examples show us and warn us clearly that God judges sin and unrepented sinners cannot escape that judgment. If God judges the angels who are in respect are higher than men, then certainly God will judge rebellious man when the time comes. But as we see in these next verses, the righteous judge offers mercy in a form of a warning to those who want to be saved. In verse 7, it says this, 
And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and, he, and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Peter's purpose here was not only to call out the false teachers and the rebellious that they would be judged for their sin, but it was also to encourage believers just like us. It's the encouragement that we have today. Peter's calling out this example of Lot because it's a deliverance. Just as God rescued Lot from Sodom, this passage is powerful. The truth that God will deliver us from these trials and these tribulations that come in our lives. He, he is able to rescue us from the temptations in this wicked world that we live in. Lot put his trust in God. And he was spared from the destruction Peter is saying here, see what happens to the angels. See what happens to people, communities who try to manipulate and exploit the word of God and play spiritual gains for their own means. But God will also save those through the temptations and trials. So we never need to worry about justice being done. In verse 10, it says this. This is especially true for those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. This is a picture here of very proud people who try to build themselves up by tearing other people down. Have you ever seen that? They build themselves up as they tear people down. The word here is being in the flesh. When we're in the flesh, that's what that is. People in the flesh do not want to submit to authority. They want to do their own thing, right? We want to do our own thing. Books encourage us to succeed at any cost, even if it costs hurting people in relationships. The world says it's okay to walk on somebody's back to get to the top. What does the world say? You need to be first. That's not what the Word of God says, is it? If you want to be first in the kingdom of God, you have to be last. You have to be a servant to all. But the world wants us to say, take care of number one. And use people at any cost to accomplish what you want. And they show no respect for authority. And they're not afraid to attack or defame people in high places. Man's fallen nature encourages pride. Pride in the flesh. When the ego is at stake, people will stop at nothing in order to promote and protect themselves. Living only to please themselves. I have a slide up here of what I think ego stands for. And what I think ego stands for is this. Edging God out. 
When our egos get in the way, we edge God out of the picture. And what comes before the fall? Pride. When we're prideful people, we edge God out of everything. And this is the exact opposite of who Jesus Christ is who was willing to empty himself and become a servant, servant and all the way as a sacrifice on the cross for our sins. He died for each and every one of us, putting himself in the center of God's will for us, not himself. And then in verse 12, it says this, but these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. Like animals, they too will perish. Now, Peter's comparing these false teachers to animals. He's saying they're like animals. And later on in this chapter, you'll hear that he's pictured them as pigs and dogs. Animals live by instinct, right? They lack the sensibility and the reasoning capacities that humans have. And Jesus warns us about this. He said, don't waste precious things on them. Matthew 7, 6 says this, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet. And turn and tear you to pieces. Because these people were talking about matters that they didn't understand and they knew nothing about. They were like barking dogs making a lot of noise. But had nothing, no truth behind them. Many in our world today mock the supernatural, right? They deny the reality of the spiritual world and that claim that, well, if I can't see it and I can't feel it, it's not real. Have you ever looked at a football team as we're getting ready for the Super Bowl, how one team will start talking smack about the other team? It's not the right thing to do. But what you do is you encourage that other team to come at you even stronger. Because they put something up in their locker room and they're saying, hey, look what they've said about us. The same thing can be said of the supernatural. The same thing can be said of Satan as well. And like these false teachers in Peter's day, they were fools. But they would be proven wrong. Here's the thing. Don't take Satan and his supernatural powers of evil lightly. And don't be arrogant about how he will be defeated in the end. Although Satan will be destroyed completely, he's at work right now trying to render us complacent and ineffective for the kingdom of God. So don't allow that to happen. It's sad when people concentrate on the big mouths and the loud voices of these false teachers in our word instead of listening to that still, small voice of our Lord as he ministers to us. Those words that he has for us are true, inviting us to join him and serve and advance the kingdom of God for his glory. These false teachers, they're going to have condemnation and they will have destruction. 
But for us, the truth of God's word leads to salvation for each and every one of us. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. And Father, as we look at your word, may we completely be immersed in it. May we know your word so that when false teachers and false things come up, we can deny them in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Father, we know you're working all around us, and we're thankful that we can be involved in that. But help us to stay grounded in your word, to know the truth, and serve you faithfully and obediently. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.